0: We are going to start in Isaiah 40 this week. Isaiah 40, if you have, depending on what kind of Bible you have, you might have um, in about 37, all of the, the indentation starts to look weird and they start really indenting things. And then 38, they do all this indenting business. And then, forty, they really start, and um, this is all some people call it the poem part of Isaiah or Isaiah the poet, either way, um, at this point, you know we went we had we had the doom and gloom from Isaiah about one to about thirty five, and then we had the events where things were actually happening, and it was you know talking about these armies coming and this is going to happen and here's what the armies did and the guy you know showed off all of his treasures to the babylonians that came to visit and showed them all the treasures and isaiah was like dude you're gonna die all that stuff's gonna get taken away you shouldn't have shown that stuff off well now what happens in isaiah 40 is for israel 150 years into the future so think about how, how amazing that is. That at some point, Isaiah, he, he, he's, it's not out of bitterness. It's not out of anger. It's just, okay, the message for right now, I gave you guys and you have it. Now I'm going to give you the message that you're going to need 150 years from now. Whoa. Well, that, you know, that's a real turning point, right? That's, that's where, okay... the the whole method and the whole technique has very much changed because he's not telling them to repent. He's not telling them to turn back to the Lord. He's saying, okay, 150 years from now, here's what God says to you. And he doesn't put those numbers on it, but all of a sudden his tone changes and you can can imagine people hearing that and being like, what is he talking about? But we know it's from the Lord, so we're going to write it down. We're going to memorize it. And then... Daniel, years later, Daniel would read it, Nehemiah would read it, Ezra would read it, and it would apply to them. Isn't that wild? So, you know, even though all these are mishmashed within pages of each other in our Bible, um, they're hundreds of years apart from each other. And by God's Holy Spirit, then speaking through Isaiah, they're interacting with each other. They're you know, Isaiah is giving a message. There's a part in this section where Hosea, where Isaiah, Isaiah says something in response to something that Hosea said, where they were interacting. So it's all, it's all happening here. So it begins. Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You immediately know the tone has changed, right? Right because it hasn't been comfort for 35 chapters. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, And uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So you could read that and you could think, okay, that means at the end of the world, there's going to be a big earthquake and the whole earth is going to become super flat. And that is sort of that could be right, but that's not the main thing that he's trying to say. So imagine in your head all the things that have kept you from the Lord or you that have kept you from doing his will. And sometimes there might be a a sin that you struggle with so bad that it's like it's like a mountain. It's like if you were out there in the grass and I said, "Okay, you have to get to the parking lot by climbing over the roof of this church. And you'd be like, there's no, I can't even get on the roof. Even if I got on, even if somebody brought a ladder, I mean, maybe Jim's got a ladder in the back of his truck today. I could at least get on the roof, but I'm not going to be able to climb up that. I'm going to slide down. It's like a mountain. Right? It might as well be. So what if everything that was keeping us from getting close to the Lord, every hindrance was wiped out? What if all sin and evil was taken away and removed? And so that you would be able to look on the Lord with pure eyes. You would be able to run to him and nothing would be in your way. That's what he's talking about. There's nothing going to hold people back. This is the same thing that's in Philippians when he says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everybody will see it. There will be no sin left to to hinder us or to hold us back. So there's a voice that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. Uneven ground will become level. The rough places plain, a plain. Remember, the other thing about Hebrew poetry is they'll say the same thing over over and over and over again. And they're not saying different details. Like if I shout down the back stairs at our house and I say, hey, can you bring me a cup, a glass, a mug, a chalice, something? And Grace comes up the back stairs holding four glasses. She knows that I don't need four glasses, right? She just knows I need some kind of a cup of something, some, something that can hold water. I don't know why I would say that, but um, that's, that's how when you see repetition in the Old Testament, when they're repeating themselves over and over, they're not necessarily listing all of those things. They're listing the same thing in all these ways. So I'm going to read it a third time. Just picture that. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, All of the rough places being made smooth and the desert roads that would go by sand dunes and rocks and be treacherous are going to be made straight and the glory of the Lord is revealed are all the same thing. Isn't that wild? Just to to try to put all that as to one thing. Well, 95% of the time, I'll say, the Bible interprets itself. And so you can find that stuff somewhere else. So you can get some context of, okay, when God talks about this, what's he talking about? What else does he mean? Where else has this happened? And um, on this part, God throws us a slow ball. So in Matthew three, Matthew interprets this for us and explains what this means, what, what's happening. And um, just like for your Bible trivia and your Bible races and all that stuff, you can remember Matthew starts with genealogy, and it starts with the Christmas story. And you know in Matthew 5 is the uh, Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 3 must be somewhere between the genealogy, Christmas, and the Sermon on the Mount, right? Right? So you think, it's got to be John the Baptist. If you guess John the Baptist, you win $400. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Wow. So the other cool thing is that whenever they quote the Old Testament, they just quote a little bit. And when they quote a little bit, they're assuming that you know everything else that goes with it. So John the Baptist, you know, he's the one that Isaiah talked about, that whole voice of the one calling in the desert, make the level path straight bit. Oh, that. That. So now you go back to that. John the Baptist is answering this. He is being this guy. So if he's being this guy, a voice cries in the wilderness. If that's John the Baptist, what is John the Baptist saying? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley is going to be lifted up. The ground will become level. The rest of the place is plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh will see it together. The mouth of the Lord was spoken. So John the Baptist isn't just saying, y'all better get right with the Lord. Right? He's not just saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is saying, the glory of the Lord is about to be revealed. God's glory. The thing that, that makes God shine, the the thing that shows off the greatest part of God is about to be revealed. So then you flip back to Matthew 3. So if John the Baptist is saying, God's greatest, most glorious, shiniest, best thing is about to be revealed, what is John the Baptist saying is about to be revealed? Jesus, right? He says, there's one coming after me. I don't even have, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I'm not even worthy to do that dirty, pitiful, humble thing. He's coming. He says it, uh, this is Matthew 3.11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Wow. So just like John the Baptist is taking people and dipping them into the water, he's saying, I'm baptizing you with water. The one that's coming after me is going to submerge you in the Holy Spirit of God. Wow. That's what Isaiah was talking about. And so John the Baptist fulfills it. So that means from here on, just watch out. Like the book of Isaiah is so mixed up in the New Testament and the Gospels, um, you could could get like five, seven finger of bookmarks going, flipping back and forth if you wanted to. I'm not going to put that on you, but a little bit. Uh, Okay, so back to Isaiah 40. He says in verse 6 A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? Isn't that great? It's just, it's just like Isaiah 6, where God says, "'Who shall I send?' And Isaiah says, "'Send me!' He's just, he's just ready. Isaiah is ready and willing to do whatever God wants him to cry. "'All flesh is like grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. "'The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. "'Surely the people are grass. "'The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.'" This is a little bit of like a backhanded encouragement, right? Y'all aren't going to last, but God's word endures forever and he won't leave you. And they've they've seen this happen. They've seen this with all these other nations being taken down by the Assyrians and by the Egyptians and by the Medians and Babylonians. Verse nine, go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up and fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. There's a thing that Isaiah does throughout here. And he'll talk about Zion and Jerusalem and his servant and Isaiah. And they're all uh, interchangeable. And sometimes you don't know. So in Hebrew, when they write, they don't have punctuation. So they don't have quote marks to know who's saying what. They don't have commas to know when one statement stops and another statement starts. Um, That's just how how their language works. You know by grammar, grammar things in the letters of who it's addressing and who it isn't. So all of this got added. So you may have, if you have different translations, if you have an NIV or an ESV or an NASB, those three might have quotes in different places. And they might have commas and line breaks and try to say different people are saying those things. Um, Don't let that bog you down, but let that enhance what you're reading. Because sometimes as he's reading this, he is saying it to the nations. Sometimes he is saying it to himself about the nations. And that's what this is all about. Jerusalem, go up and shout. Jerusalem, you are my city. You are my city where I have my temple and where I dwell with my people. Get up there and shout. Behold, the Lord comes. He wants the whole city of Jerusalem to be a witness in this in this whole section. Skip down. Um, he's trying to you know consider all the world in the size of the Lord down in um, verse 15, Isaiah 40, 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They're counted like dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Like if you were weighing something and you were buying it by the pound and you saw dust on the scale, you wouldn't even care about that dust, right? Like, I mean... What's that? It's going to change the, you know, I'm buying ham. I'm buying ham by the pound and there's dust. The little piece of paper on the scale that they put underneath the ham when they pick it up. Is that going to add to the price of my ham? Yeah. How much is it going to add? Like a penny? Who cares? I I don't care about that. That's what the nations, all these armies that are coming to you, Israel. They're like dust on a scale. We don't even count them. They're like that little wrapping paper around the ham in the deli. It, it contributes to the weight. Who cares? Doesn't even count. And yes, I'm using ham on purpose because it's not kosher. They're like a drop from the bucket. Insignificant. Keep on going down. Verse 16. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, or, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. There's a... Um, like all of Lebanon is just this forest, forest, forest. And he's like, you could light it all on fire and it wouldn't even be a big enough fire, not enough offering for God, how glorious and holy he is. Uh, I was at a concert one time and the, they were you know, singing worship songs and they said, we just don't even have speakers big enough to sing these songs loud enough. It was like, Glory to God, right? Just, he deserves so much bigger. Verse 17 All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Now, what's wild about all of that is as much as these warring nations are piddly, they don't even count nothing, zilch, you know how much he cares about individual people. Isn't that wild? He cares about you specifically. Like, Jesus Christ cares so much about Dan Sullivan. It says in Revelation that there's a nickname that only he and I know. Y'all will be in heaven. You'll have complete knowledge of the Lord. You will not know the nickname that Jesus and I have for each other. Isn't that wild? And uh, so, God of the universe, so vast, so huge but intimately cares about us as individual people. To whom, This is verse 18. Who will you liken God? What likeness will you compare with Him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold, casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering will get an idol out of wood that won't rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. He's just talking about how hard people work to make their idols. And if they can't afford gold, they get really good wood. It's still just made out of stuff. It's just crafted. Verse 21, Do you not know? Have you, did you not hear? Has it not been told from you the beginning? Have you not understood that from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. So can anything made by a grasshopper be a god basically is what he's saying. If a grasshopper build something does it have any power cuz God reigns over it. He he made all the grasshoppers. I think I've told this I tell this story every time we talk about idols. There's a guy in some African village and he's carving an idol and as he's carving it and he's putting the scraps in the fire and he realizes, you know, part of his idol is being burned up. And part of his idol is being carved and he's looking at his hands and how his hands work. And he just starts to marvel that he is making something with his hands, but something had to make his hands. And so he quits worshiping the idol and he begins worshiping whatever it was that made his hands. And he spends some time worshiping whatever God created these hands and a missionary came and you know the missionaries you, you show up and you don't know you don't know how to explain to people Jesus that God came in the flesh died for their sins and the guy says I want to tell you about the God that made everything the God that made the Sun and the mountain range and he made all these animals and he even made you he even made your hands and do you think that guy was ready to listen? He, he was ready to listen. And he became a Christian and like was, you know, he met the God that he was calling out to. He, he met him and, and knew him. So God is the everlasting God. Let's see. Let's skip down to verse 28. Um, chapter 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the ever everlasting... Okay, I say this with an African accent because I have this song that I listen to and they have all these African kids reading Isaiah. And yeah, it's hard to talk. (laughs) Have you not known? Have you not heard? That's how they say it. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So that is awesome, right? You want to, People have it on posters. They have pictures of eagles. The whole bit. Well, I want to tell you that it is true. It's not just poetry. It's not just motivational poster. Um, The Lord does this. The Lord Lord does give us supernatural strength, either physically to press on and to to keep on doing what He wants us to do, whether emotionally to, to keep it together, and to do what he wants us to do, to stay with him, to, to be our strength, to lean on him. Um, there are stories from the, the great revival where, um, gosh, I wish I didn't remember his name. I should have looked it up. This guy, he would go from town to town preaching and his horse knew the way. Maybe you guys know the story. You remember the guy? Maybe it was John Wesley. I don't know. But um, his horse knew the path from city to city where he would preach. So he would sit on the horse and sleep. It's like, it's like the self-driving car of the 1800s, 1700s. Um, he would sleep while this horse went from city to city. And then when the horse would get to the next town, it would stop. And he would wake up and go and preach a revival. And all these people would get saved and all these miracles would be done. He'd get back on his horse and sleep until the next city. There's all different ways that the Lord is our strength. He gives power to the faint. Um, God does not grow faint and God does not grow weary. It's amazing that God designed us. This doesn't mean that we go ragged and we go crazy. God designed us for a third of our day for us to be completely incapacitated and helpless. Right? When we go to sleep. And... Um, whether we sleep good or whether we sleep bad, we were designed to rest for a big chunk of our day. And that can be that little reminder that God doesn't do this. Even when you're asleep, it says in Zephaniah 3, while you sleep, God sings songs over you of love. Wow. He does not rest. He does not grow weary Even youth shall faint and grow weary. Young men will fall exhausted. Like if anybody's going to get, everybody's going to last and last a long time, it's going to be these young, strong, athletic dudes, right? Well, even those guys are going to get tired, but God won't. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary, walk and not grow faint. This doesn't mean they're not going to sit down and rest, but it means they're going to be able to endure, they're going to be able to be sustained. Especially in this whole time that he's talking about where all evil is taken away. Every valley is lifted up. Every mountain is made low. When your sin is taken away, you can walk with such boldness. You can walk with such confidence. You can walk in such peace. All right, we're going to skip a whole bunch. There's some good stuff in Isaiah 41 about the uselessness of uselessness of idols. Um, 41.21 41, is almost like an Elijah showdown where Isaiah says, bring all your idols and let's ask them. And um, they're all going to be worthless. You can't do it. Isaiah 41.29 sums it all up. They're all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. All the stuff that they're making... All the stuff they're making to exalt themselves against God are just going to fade away. They're going to get knocked off the pulpit, just like that. (laughs) Isaiah 42. Now, remember I said Isaiah, sometimes he's talking about Jerusalem. Sometimes he's talking about Isaiah. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes he'll say Zion. Listen to this. Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. You know who he's talking about, right? I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Jesus said several of these Jesus quoted about himself. That of this whole section I just read. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He's never going to give up. He's never going to be discouraged and be like, oh, we can't do it, right? Jesus Jesus will never, will never look at any activity you do or any of your actions and give up or be like, this is hopeless, just forget it. Um, this is not going to happen. Jesus will always, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens, stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. He gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. This is chapter 42, verse 6 I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant. For the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind and bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is the blood of a new and everlasting covenant, a covenant in my blood. Here, God says, I will give you as a covenant for the people. Jesus knew as soon as he knew he was the son of God, which I think he knew right away. I think he knew the whole time. I don't think he was in a discovery thing like some people say. He knew that he would fulfill this verse of Isaiah. Jesus always knew he would be given as a covenant. That he would be given as a promise, as a seal, as a, as a, a surety. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. He knew that he wasn't just a covenant to save Israel. right? That's why he would go up into Samaria. That's why he would go up into the Decapolis. That's why he would go all around and, and, uh, and speak to all different people, not just the Jews. He would send out the disciples to do the same things. I and the Lord... This is one of my favorites. Verse 8. Uh, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Nor my praise to carved idols. Alright, so we're going to get a little cosmic for a second. If God doesn't give his glory to anybody, God does not share his glory. But Paul would say in a couple of different places, That you have glory. Or that glory is on you. Or you walk in glory. So are we walking in a different glory that's not God's? We know that's not true. Because there's only one glory, and it's God's glory. Any other glory is rebellion and offensive, right? You read Ezekiel and there's this angel that thinks he's glorious and exalts his glory against God. And he is the devil, right? He's cast down. So there's only one glory. I give, uh, my glory I give to no other. So he's not giving his glory to anybody. But we have glory. And it's not the bad glory. Well, I'm jumping ahead 90 days, aren't I? because you know what it is. God himself is in us. The glory of the Lord, when the glory of the Lord is on us, it's God's presence. It's God's Holy Spirit. It is the third person of the Trinity in us. It's not some other glory. It's God's actual glory in us. So when you are praying for someone and you are like, man, the glory of God is here. Which the glory of God is here even when you don't feel it. But when you're in that moment and you're like, man, the glory of God is here. Really savor the fact that God's only got one glory. He can't cut it up into pieces. You don't get half of his glory. You don't get one eight billionth of his glory. When his Holy Spirit shows up, you have all of his Holy Spirit and all of his glory in you. Because he doesn't give it to anybody. He only brings it. So I have a chainsaw. I have a a $350 Husqvarna chainsaw that my grandma bought me. This is a total grandma chainsaw. This is not, my buddies and I, we refer to it as the grandma chainsaw. Because I would never be able to buy a $350 chainsaw. When somebody wants to borrow the $350 grandma chainsaw, do you know what they get? They get to borrow the operator and the chainsaw. I show up with the chainsaw. I say, no offense, you can't touch my chainsaw. This sucker is like the Maserati of chainsaws. Honest story, it's broken now. We moved on. But when it worked, it was awesome. It was amazing. It was my wife's, one of my wife's favorite sounds because when she heard it, she knew that like order was being brought to the dominion. When you get the chainsaw, you get the operator. When you get the glory of God, God comes with it. He does not give his glory to another. He shows up. He is there present with his glory. That's the only way it works. It says in 1 John chapter 4 that it pleased god that everybody that would believe that jesus christ came in the flesh died and rose from the dead would that pleased him to be in everyone that believes that it makes god happy when people believe in him because he just takes up residence in you and his glory is there he gives it to no other he doesn't share he doesn't share his stuff he shares himself The fullness of himself. And so then, of course, what's the result of that? Isaiah 42.10 is our right response. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea, all that fills it, the coastlands, the inhabitants, let the deserts and its cities. He basically goes through a whole big old list of every single kind of person. All you nations, God's glory is upon you, is coming. Verse 12, let him give glory to the Lord, declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Which takes us back to modern day versus rights, right? The Lord is just, yeah. he is cheering. He is zealous. Well, he stirs up his zeal. When you are praying for something, do you ever get, I mean, there I was last night in the emergency room, right? You're like, how can I pray to make this work my way? Lord, what words do I pray to get what I want? Do I need, do I need to pray for this? Do I need to pray for this angle? Because why? Because you are so passionate And you are so zealous and you want this thing to come to pass. Guess what? Your zeal, your passion is like dust on the scale compared to the Lord's zeal for what the Lord wants. We want somebody healed, we want somebody, we want God to be glorified in healing someone. Do you know how much God wants to be glorified? He wants to be glorified a whole lot more. But God, but God, I love this person so much, I want him to be healed so bad. God's like, do you know how much I love this person? Do you want me to show you this little piece of paper wrapped around the ham at the deli that doesn't even move the scale? That's what your human love for this person is like. Compared to my deep, deep, deep love. Keep rewinding. My love that was from the foundations of the world. My love that that can make mountains low. That can make valleys high. That can make straight ways in the desert. When my glory shows up. The zeal. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. It's the brave heart, you know, rallying the troops. Yeah. But God does that. And do you know God does that just out of his sheer love and compassion for us. He doesn't do it because, oh man, I was watching Dan and he let that person cross the street in front of him when it was a green light, and he I am so glad that he did that good deed. Oh, he gave them seven dollars to that homeless man. I am so glad he did that. No. God just has that zeal in him because that's his quality of compassion and mercy. That's his his independent sovereignty. He does that. So, for a long last bit, verse fourteen, for a long time I've held my peace, I have kept still and restrained myself. Can you imagine God saying, I mean, like, look at creation today. And to think that God says to all of that, I have held myself back. I have restrained myself. Next time you eat a strawberry, be like, oh my gosh, God is holding back when he invented strawberries. Get ready. I have restrained myself, but now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. <sighs> right? He's just, he's getting worked up. Zeal of the Lord. I will lay waste mountains and hills. I will dry up all their vegetation. I'll turn the rivers into islands, dry up the pools. I will lead the blind. This isn't about destruction. I will lead the blind in the way they don't know. In past they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn darkness before them into light. The rough places to level ground. These are the things I do and I do not forsake them. That's the little hat tip to Hosea. Because when all the people were getting hauled off and all the bad stuff was happening, Hosea was talking about your forsaken people. And now God's saying, you've, you've received your punishment. It's all happened. I'm not forsaking you. I am passionate I am screaming and gasping like a pregnant woman, like a warrior, like a mighty fighter, in my zeal to have compassion on you and to save you. We got 20 more chapters of this. Not really, but sort of. All right, very good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your mercy and your goodness and your compassion. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you for your zeal and your your uh, might that you would be so worked up and that you would be so just nuts about saving us and rescuing us and showing us compassion. We praise your holy name. We receive all of that. We need all of it. And we recognize you as the Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right.